This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Strap yourselves in. Jürgen's talking business as Cristiano Ronaldo looks to seal a deal for a Premier League return. Will the Reds, though, get involved in a late trolley dash? Plus, there's actually quite a big football match to talk about. Here to build up to the meeting of two of the title contenders at Anfield, we have our own big guns. We've the Chief Ian Doyle, Theo Senior Squires, and also Matt Writer Addison. <laughs> Gents, I hope you're all well. <laughs> wasn't too was long cool. ago. Wasn't too long ago since we we did last pod. But uh, Doyle, the big talk at the moment is all about Cristiano Ronaldo. Very little relevance indeed to Liverpool. But the fact that the Manchester rivals seem to be fighting over him, it just leaves Liverpool looking back and uh, sort of watching what's going on. You're right. There is absolutely very little relevance to Liverpool. Move on to Theo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just. Not really that fussed, to be honest. You know, I just put a tweet out about United brought in a 35-year-old to help out with their under-23. So bringing in a 36-year-old to help the first team, both of them, it's Paul McShane, wasn't it? He used to be yeah. at United. Ronaldo used to be at United. Maybe it's just a club policy now, just to get old people in to help them. Yeah, Theo, OK, what do you make of it sort of from the, the Liverpool perspective with this? Obviously, initially it was kind of looked at as he was the goal-getter that Manchester City have been looking to maybe try and bring in, bring in all summer. But Manchester United seemingly can't see one of their former stars be a rival so much that they're willing to completely rip apart their whole wage structure. Um, it kind of undermines everything Solskjaer's done the last few years, doesn't it? Like You think... That was their policy before. They'd just sign random players that didn't really make much sense just to have the names in. Like you think like Schweinsteiger and all, pretty much half the players Van Gaal signed. There was never any structure to how United did things in the transfer market. And then Solskjaer came in and we all mocked him, his follies at the wheel and all this. But quietly, he's done a decent job, hasn't he? He has got a decent uh, young team there and he has been building it. You think, well, they've got him some good players there, Jaden Sancho, Bruno Fernandes. Mason Greenwood looks all right talent. And then they've got the little bit of an experienced head in Cavani. But then just throwing Ronaldo in there, sometimes you can just not say no to these opportunities. But if City don't go for him, he probably stays at Juventus. So it's only because City have made that move they're going for him in the first place. And granted, he'll go in the team. It's Ronaldo. You can't not start Ronaldo if you've got Ronaldo. But how much are they paying Cavani then to not get anywhere near this team? And they've still got Rashford to come back from injury. They've still got Martial. Just, he wasn't needed, whereas you look at City and it's like, well, they've only got one striker, Gabriel Jesus, and he's been pretty poor for a, a well, last season, wasn't he, up front? They couldn't rely on him to get the goals to the extent that when Aguero was injured, they didn't play with a striker. They'd rather leave him on the bench. I know he, he had a really good game last week when he was playing on the right-hand side, but when they've been having to do like false nines playing like Torres up there and that, they needed that finisher. You think, well, Ronaldo would have made that. It would have got them over the line. You could see that making the difference for them in the title race. But for United, it's just another body. And it's like, I'm sure their fans will be delighted. It's them puffing their chest out and showing they're still the big dogs in Manchester, despite what all the trophies in recent years are saying. But then you look at it from a Liverpool point of view, and it's like, well, that's just United making a mess of things again, isn't it? Like, Granted, it'll be great for them for this year, you imagine, if he can live up to what he's done pretty much throughout his career. Normally, they say never go back. But I think with Ronaldo, you can probably say it would do a decent job. And their veterans have delivered in the past when you think of Ibrahimovic. But that's a hell of a lot of a wage to give one player when you're only going to have him there for a year, two years, and there's no resale value there. 
and it's just like, well, why are you making this movement moving forward, having this young policy? If you're then just going to block the pathways of these players. But I suppose the positive spin of that is Greenwood would have learned so much for two years playing with um, Ronaldo, the same way these players have learned so much playing from Ibrahimovic for 18 months, the same way Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott are learning from Thiago Alcantara now. Sometimes it just makes sense. One where if it had been any other old former player, he'd say, no, you can't do that. It just doesn't make sense for you. It completely goes against what you're operating on. But I think as Klopp's been saying in press conferences, isn't he? There are players like Messi and Ronaldo. You just have to, don't you? Yeah, Matt, what's your take on it? Would it make Manchester United any more title contenders and rivals to Liverpool or, or not really? We saw last weekend, for example, that they dropping points. Maybe some people didn't expect it to come that early. For me, it, it's always been Man City and Liverpool. be interesting to see if Chelsea can stay at a distance, but then a little bit behind that is Manchester United. Would Would this deal change that? I think it helps them. I don't think it necessarily bumps them up to, to being absolute title contenders. Um, I, I said it, to be honest, again, for, for Manchester City, I don't think it made a huge amount of sense in terms of the style of, of where you plug Ronaldo into that team. I don't quite understand. I think it makes a little bit more sense for, for United, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a natural fit to, to go into to them either. I think they're going to have to change sort of the way that, that they play, the way that they set up. Obviously, we mentioned that the likes of Greenwood and Cavani and all of these other players, they've got a lot of, of pieces to sort of fit into to that jigsaw around him over the next couple of seasons. And I just think that it wasn't really a priority for them. I think if they'd have got a, a world-class midfielder to go into that team, that probably would have made a, a bigger difference. I think they just had other bits of their squad that needed strengthening far more than, than Cristiano Ronaldo coming in. I think for, for United, it's it's probably more... A commercial decision than, than anything else. It's an opportunity to get fans on side as well because they all love Cristiano Ronaldo. There's a bit of publicity to, to be had for them in that regard as well. I think it's it's more that than than anything else. I do think it makes United better. Of course it does. He's he's a world class player and even though he is 36, I, I still think he will be able to to do it at that same level for, for the next couple of seasons. But yeah, I, I don't think for, for City it would have made a huge amount of sense. For United it, it kind of does, but maybe not in in the same way that it might have done for for other teams, I just think it, it bumps them up. But it doesn't it doesn't scare me, which is is ridiculous, really. When you think of, of Cristiano Ronaldo coming into a team, I just don't think it makes enough of a di- of a difference and of an impact for for Liverpool to to be massively affected. To be honest, well, I suppose you look at Italy last year, don't you? Like you think Juventus win the title every single season, and he's gone there for a couple of years. They've not won the Champions League again, and they actually missed out on the title. So it's one where United will be thinking of Ronaldo as this fast winger that was doing all these tricks and skills and scoring goals, getting assists, and then the player he became at Real Madrid. But there is that change in him over the years, isn't it? Now he's gone to Italy and we know it's a slower league. It's like how much of a difference is he going to be coming back into the Premier League? It's one of those players you can't write off. But it's, it's one of those still, isn't it? It's like, how do you fit in? I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right in saying as well that Max Allegri at Juventus, when he was there last time, he, he wasn't a massive fan of Ronaldo. He didn't think that he could fit him into the team. And I'm pretty sure he'll be looking at it thinking that Juventus are, are better off without him. So I don't know, it, it just it, it goes against a little bit the sort of fundamentals of, of the way the game has gone in terms of pressing and intensity. He's not going to do that for you. And I think that's why it wouldn't have made sense for, for Manchester City. United are not quite the same, but they don't quite have that same philosophy and clear style, do they, under Solskjaer? There's not a, a Solskjaer way of playing. I think he's he's slightly more malleable. He might be able to get a bit more out of him, but yeah, I don't think it's going to make a, a massive difference. And it's 
it's probably telling that the Juventus were pretty keen to, to get rid of him, to be honest. They, they didn't do as well last season, as Theo says. And I think that's because they tried to shoehorn him in, which seems to be the, the mistake that City or United could be making. Yeah. Also, I suppose with the higher bar of offici- officiating in the Premier League this year, there aren't going to be as many penalties either. So maybe it won't work out quite no, as well. What, what, why, is, why is Bruno Fernandes making him come to United? Doesn't he realise that Ronaldo will be on pens? Yeah. Bruno Fernandes will be finished. <laughs> yeah, that is true. There you go. One Portuguese for another. Bad move. Exactly. Yeah, no, Doily, in terms of this, though, and does it go to kind of, I suppose, underline why transfers are overrated and why this media circus... Oh, I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. you can't say transfers are overrated. Come on. You can't say that on, on well, this. On well, <laughs> well, the, 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 the clamour for them, the point I'm making, is in terms of Liverpool have done their business early and yet both <clears> Manchester United and Manchester City are now running around still trying to sort things whilst effectively Liverpool have their squad already done. We're already the season's underway and Liverpool aren't therefore dropping points thus yet so far in the in the Premier League where others maybe have because they've not got the summer business they should have done right at the start of the summer. Well, yes and no. I'm sure if you ask the fans who, who value the transfer window shield as highly as the Premier League and the Champions League, they'll be literally trying to rip the screen off or whatever it is that they're listening or watching this podcast on at your comments there, Guy. Um, but, yeah, sure. Yeah, but I do think, with, with well, let's put it this way, with City, they wanted Kane all the way through the summer. And the only reason they were interested in, in any way with Ronaldo is because they forgot that Daniel Levy is just, you know, he is Daniel Levy. So he, he was always going to be awkward. Uh, and Harry Kane didn't go the right way around it, trying to trying to get the move to City. So they're, they're left in a little bit of a pickle. Although, fortunately, they do have about 34 world-class players in their squad, so it shouldn't be too difficult for them to, to cope without uh, without forward. Uh, with United, it's different because I think they're just being opportunists here. And it's almost like I wouldn't be surprised if City have kind of kind of just like smoked them out, as in like they were never ever going to be, they were never going to go for him properly anyway. And now, whether or not United, or, or maybe his, his, his agent, Mendes, has done that. So... You know, it does seem a bit odd that City would be interested and then just go, oh, hang on, he wants a load of money. We, do, we don't really want to give him that. It's like, well, have they not been paying any attention to what Ronaldo's been doing for the past 15 years or something? You know, you don't exactly get him cheap. So I do think uh, there's something a bit more to play there. And there's every chance it doesn't even go to United anyway and he just stays at Juventus. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. It was weird with the, um, the report of it last night, wasn't it? We were talking um, that City wants him. And you're thinking, oh, they're happy to pay his wages, even though I think the offer was a lot less than he was on at um, Juventus in the first place. But then it was Juventus won 21, 22 million. City won it on a free transfer. That's quite a lot of uh, space in the middle there to try and find a compromise on. And yet they were all talking as though it's going to happen. But it's been crazy week, hasn't it, in the transfer market when you think we've gone in the space of, what, 72 hours, Mbappe, Kane, now Ronaldo going all over the Europe. Erlen Haaland's come up and won that today. He could be a replacement for uh, what Mbappe at PSG. It's just all the big names doing everything in the last few days of the window. If any of them happen, it shows Jurgen Klopp was wrong because he said none of these big names would be going anywhere this summer because there wasn't the funds in the transfer market. But nothing's happened yet. And all they'll be doing, all they'll be doing is moving the money around between themselves. I mean, Real Madrid are just, well, you know, my thoughts on them. And they'll always find a way, won't they? Very... Uh, very interesting club. So I think they were, you know, whether or not they get Mbappe this summer, it's clear that he would quite like to go to Real Madrid. And I must admit, why? 
I don't understand why he would want to do that right now anyway. Um, so, no, clearly Mbappe wants Real Madrid. So I think the whole Liverpool-Mbappe 2022, was it? 2021, which have just add an extra year on the end. Don't think that's going to be happening because if he goes to Real Madrid, he'll never be playing for Liverpool. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, let's open it up then, talk wider in terms of transfers and where things are going. Matt, when Jurgen Klopp was asked in his press conference today about Ronaldo and Manchester City, as it was at the time, he said it's not business for now. It's all about just this is a very short-term kind of deal. I suppose the argument being that if the likes of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are there, every club in the world surely should be putting some kind of offer their way, even if they do end up just going to the richest club. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think Liverpool would have ever even entertained the possibility of it. I mean, it's it's just you 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 do have to think longer term. Certainly, Liverpool have to, to think longer term. It's it's about sort of as Jurgen Klopp said, we still need players in three years' time, and, and Cristiano Ronaldo isn't going to be one of those. There's there's no sort of sell on fee. I know I saw someone before compare it to Thiago that he was sort of at a, a similar point in his career. But I mean, he's, what, seven or eight years younger than Cristiano Ronaldo. It's, it's not really it's not really a comparison, is it? So, I don't know. It's, it, it's it, it, I know what you mean. Obviously, there's there's an opportunity to go and, and get one of the best footballers there's ever been. But I just think it, it's inevitable that it would be a Manchester City, a Manchester United, a club that's that's got that money. I know that there's the argument of shirt sales and obviously getting a percentage of night kit deals and, and stuff like that, but it's it's just not quite that simple. I think for, for Liverpool, it, it wouldn't have even been something that crossed their mind that they would go after a player like that. Kylian Mbappe would have been hard enough, but obviously he, at least you'd think, would have a, a sell-on possibility at some point in the future to, to get that money back. With Cristiano Ronaldo, it's it's just not like that. In, in two years' time, he'll maybe move to, to MLS or he'll move somewhere and, and you're not going to get a huge fee for him. It, it just wouldn't have, have stacked up and it would have gone against what Jurgen Klopp and, and what Liverpool are, are all about, really. So, yeah, not not really a possibility. What about then, Doyle, the, the likes of Kylian Mbappe and Jadon Sancho, who one of which has already moved on this, some of the other very heavily linked. If it is all about the future and it's not about deals for now, well, surely they're two forward players who were available this summer or one still is available this summer that would be sticking around. And whether it be resale, someone like Kylian Mbappe, if he's so sort of wedded to the idea of going to Real Madrid, if they can't afford him now, in two or three years' time, they may well be able to. Could Liverpool not have pressed ahead and looked to get a deal? Well, maybe they were. I don't know. You know, but if the player wants to go to Real Madrid and he set his heart on it, then he's not going to be going anywhere else. Why do you think he's he's running down his contracts? He knows, but at the end of next season, he can do this season. Sorry, he can do whatever he wants, which is what he will do. So, I just think it's one of those where there's not much you can do about it. If a player doesn't want to come, they don't want to come, no matter how much money you you you, you spend or offer them. And I think we have to look realistically. You mentioned Jaden Sancho. Then Liverpool would have looked, and Pet Klopp would have looked to have signed him, but they can't be spending. What was it? Seventy three million, seventy seventy three million pounds on a player who who I personally think is going to end up being really good, but couldn't get, hardly get a game for England in the European Championships and they got all the way to the final. So, you know, he's still a lot of potential. That is a lot of money to spend. And I'm sure that if he ends up being brilliant, United will go, well, look at that. He's ended up being quite cheap. The same way that slightly different, but Van Dijk, £75 million, pounds, quite clearly he's had that much of a transformative effect on Liverpool. He was worth it, even though obviously he was a lot older than, than Sancho was. Will Sancho have the same effect on United? Probably won't. But if they end up winning stuff and he ends up scoring goals, 
or, or assisted and being one of the better players, then it'll be worth it because he'll have, unlike Ronaldo, how many years younger is he than Ronaldo? 17 years? Something like that. How old is Sancho? Nine, he's not 19, he's older than that, isn't he? 20, he's 20, 21. 21. Well, 2021. 15, 16 years younger than him. So they're going to get a lot of time out of him. And as you mentioned, resale value. But for Liverpool, we've said it all along, their priority this season, this summer, sorry, has been keeping their best players. You know, their Sancho is, you, is well, they will hope that somebody like Harvey Elliott ends up becoming, he's got the potential to be somebody like that, different kind of player. But they'll yeah. hope that he can be something like that. And they've got the, like Trent, he's come through the, the ranks and he's ended up becoming one of the best right-backs in the world. I mean, I don't have to go through all the players. You, you, we all know them all. And they, that's why they've tied them up. But in terms, I mean, of tra- I mean, sorry. even on that though, because you obviously keep an eye on the the academy and awful. And mm. I, I don't want to be comparing young kids yeah, from sixteen to <laughs> absolute world stars. No, but Liverpool do seem to be on this kind of recruitment phase that I find quite interesting. Bobby Clark, the latest one brought in from Newcastle, really bring these kids in very young, get them ingrained into exactly what Liverpool want to do through youth age groups and hopefully see Trent it's worked for, Harvey Elliott it's worked for, that they can kick some of these guys on into being first team players and with that comes I suppose the, the homegrown quotas and club trained model and everything. Let's also be realistic is that if they end up being really really good they'll be at Liverpool if they end up being decent there's a chance they might stay at Liverpool or they could get a big big enough fee to justify yeah. the investment of a how much they'll have paid to bring them in and then the years that they'll have spent developing them and you only need a couple of them, you know. Players like, well, it's it's happened this this year, hasn't it? Harry Wilson. How many games did he play for Liverpool? Two was it? Two or three? I think it was yeah. two, wasn't it? It was two, wasn't it? Yeah. So playing the FA Cup yeah, played, in the league, yeah. didn't he? And they were up three years apart. He went on loads of loan deals, and Liverpool got 10, 12 million for him, wasn't it? So if, if you know, it's a fair whack that for a player. But he's a Wales international, played in the European Championships. Why on earth wouldn't you get that money for him? But he's just, you know, he's not quite. He's clearly not quite that Liverpool level, but. He's going to be playing in what the championship. He'll be in the Premier League again very soon. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that. And he'll score loads of goals wherever he goes. And there's no guarantee. That's the thing is that when you bring in the youngsters, yeah, it's very exciting. We've seen with Kay Gordon. You know, he's quite clearly got a lot of talent, but there's absolutely no guarantee they're going to end up making it. There's, there's, the, the, no one can guarantee that. Okay, maybe there are now and again this extra special talent like Everton had Wayne Rooney, Liverpool had, had Trent. Uh, before that, they had Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, people like that, Stephen Gerrard, you know, those kind of players. That, that, but then you compare that to, you know, that's not quite as interesting for fans, though, is it? Seeing that happen over a longer period of time. If it's the summer transfer window, they want somebody here right now. And we to completely decept- it's a completely separate conversation whether or not Liverpool should be doing more strengthening or should have done more strengthening this summer. Personally speaking, I think they should have got at least one more, possibly two. But if they haven't got the whether it's the flow of cash or whether it's the fact they've got something lined up next season see we don't know these kind of things quite often transfers can happen you know 12 months down the line when I mean, there was a there was a famous story of um that famous that i've nearly forgot it uh when gerard hulier i think pretty sure yeah if gerard hulier arrived at liverpool uh he got told oh we've got a present for you next season you're getting stefan honcho and they'd already agreed that that sign was going to be made so there's an example of that that does happen so, but as I said, we were living a different era now, an era where everybody wants something right now, which is exactly why Manchester United, if they are going to sign Ronaldo, are signing him because they know that he will go in and straight away will make a positive impact to that team and hope for that they'll hope will get the goals that helps them finish second in the league behind Liverpool. 
Well, Jürgen, Jürgen Klopp made the point before, didn't he, about sort of Harvey Elliott and blocking the pathway. He said, you know, would would Harvey Elliott have, have played had Gini Wijnaldum still been at Liverpool or had Liverpool bought a, a midfielder this summer? Probably not. And, and he's right. You know, the, there is that sort of opportunity. And we mentioned Mason Greenwood, for example, before you wonder what happens for him if he gets 10 or 15 games less this season and, and next season because Cristiano Ronaldo's in the way. How much? How much benefit is there in the long term? I don't know. It's it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah. Look at Chelsea. Look at Chelsea. They had Tamori went alone to Derby, didn't he? Did yeah. He? yeah. Yeah. With, with Mason Wilson Mount. Around. With yeah. Mason Mount. And now Tamori next season he's at AC Milan, isn't he? He was spent last season on loan. Now he's signed. So for so what, Chelsea, Yeah, Chelsea got twenty five million for him, and Mason Mount now plays for the Champions League winners, and he'll be probably playing to, tomorrow at Anfield. You know, he, this time was played for England European Championship. So. They're two players, and Reese James as well. He's come through the ranks at, at Chelsea. So they're three players that they partly had to bring through because they couldn't sign anybody for 12 months. But that's an example of how they're, now they're reaping the benefits. And yeah, they've Liverpool got the more to work. Liverpool will hope that something like that happens. But I mean, even, you know, City have done it with Foden, Chelsea, uh, United have done it with Greenwood and Rashford and one or two others. I mean, it's not just a Liverpool thing, is it? But I think... <laughs> the problem for Liverpool fans is all those other teams have spent absolute fortunes on players this summer, whereas Liverpool haven't. Theo, what's, you've been sat there quietly just taking it all in. What, what are your thoughts? Because it feels as though there have been some of these generational, transformative players waiting in the wings maybe to be snapped up this summer and that it is all kicking off. And Liverpool are just there, kind of on the touchline, just watching and going, oh yeah, but we're happy to just keep our powder dry. Do you think they should have been making more moves? Um it's probably not the right time for them to be making these moves. Like you look at these teams we're talking about, um, that's what Chelsea have just spent 97.5 million re-signing Romelu Lukaku. United spent, what was it? 80 million re-signing Paul Pogba. They had the young players. They didn't give them the opportunities. They let them go for peanuts, free transfers or only a few million. And then they've had to spend big to bring them back. Or it's what would Liverpool want to do? Would they want to give Harvey Elliott the game time now? Or would they want to spend big money to keep Genie Wijnaldum for an extra two, three years, potentially lose Elliot or he gets lost on his way a little bit. And then, oh, he's actually turned out to be a decent player. We'll go and spend a big fee on him in three years' time. Liverpool, as Klopp said in the press conference today, are very much thinking long-term. And he's, it's always one where Liverpool would sacrifice the league title or the Champions League this year if it gave them a better chance of winning the next three. It is all very long-term thinking and looking to the future and giving them that best chance for continued success. You look at this squad and it's one where it isn't the right time for them to be going and spending big money on these generational talents because they've still got Mohamed Salah there. They've still got Sadio Mane there. You can't go and spend 150 million on a player when you've got someone who's already in his place. Yeah, there'll be some who say you can sell Roberto Firmino or that and you can make room for them. But Liverpool need to be secure. They need to make sure when they make this big move, when they make these big decisions, they get it right. And they're looking at their players and thinking, these are good enough. These can do a job. They've done the business for us before. We can keep on going. And it's even for another six months. Like we're saying, well, do Liverpool need another option now? Well, we've been impressed by what we've seen in pre-season. We've been impressed by what we've seen in these first two games so far. And it's those question marks over your Minamino's your Oxlade-Chamberlain's, your Naby Cater's, where the Roberto Firmino's still got goals in him. It's like, well, if these players are staying fit, they're getting minutes, they're getting game time, you can throw Harvey Elliott in there as well. They're fine until January. The only issue then is the Cup of Nations, when you've got Salah going away, Mane going away, 
or if Cater breaks down with injury or Foxy Chamberlain breaks down with injury. But it's, it's it's a gamble, but they can get away with it for a few months, can't they? And then in January, they can say, oh, Oxley Chamberlain's still getting injuries. Cater's still getting injuries. Harvey Elliott isn't up to it, like they did with Rian Brewster a couple of years ago. And that's when you weigh up what you do next. It's like, well, if the player is good enough and he comes in, Harvey Elliott, he could be a sensation this season, play lots of games, and Liverpool don't need to spend £50 million on a midfielder because they've got one there. Or that he plays a few games, doesn't quite do it. He's good for a Premier League side, but not for the very top Premier League sides. Or you go and sell him for £23.5 million to Sheffield United or something like that. Liverpool have to be patient. They have to get these moves right. And it's one where if there were two years further down the line, maybe they would have been in the conversation for Sancho or an Mbappe. It's just with the pandemic, it's all held it up. They don't have those finances to spare. They've got to be more calculated. And when you've got faith in your squad, your players are doing the job. You can't just go and say, we're going to spend whatever we can to get to that top level when you want to have that stability. Because it's all very well, United spending this money, Real Madrid spending this money on Mbappe, Ronaldo. But how stable are they going to be for it at the end of it? Like Real Madrid shouldn't have that much money to spare. We don't know where it's going to come from. All this European Super League stuff. Real Madrid is supposed to be broke. They're supposed to be not as bad as Barcelona, but in a pretty bad way with the salary laws they're messing them about. Yet they're still finding a way to what make Mbappe probably one of the highest paid players at the club and spend what record fee on him. It's ridiculous. They are going to put themselves at jeopardy and relying on the fact that they're still going to be getting into the Champions League, still challenging for these titles, and he's going to make it all back for them in shirt sales and everything. But that is a gamble. We've seen it backfire on teams before. You don't. It's going to be one that some fans won't remember. But Leeds United, when they dreamed big and it all fell apart after signing all these players, and it took them what twenty years to get back into the Premier League. Not necessarily Real Madrid get relegated or anything, but some teams just have to be more stable. They have to be more wise about it. And Liverpool are in that conversation. That is what they're doing. You can complain about it all you like, but they still managed to get third last season when half the squad was injured. They still managed to win the Premier League, the Champions League the years before that. It's a good squad. It might not be the best on paper, but it's still good enough to compete. And when it's all so tight between the top four, as it looks like it will be this season, then it can come down to those small margins and where some fans would like a big money signing to make that difference. Well, wouldn't you rather you academy players are coming in and making a difference too? Yeah, well, I suppose a few people would say if the other big clubs are broke, you press ahead and get someone in. And if Salah's going to get a new contract, he, Firmino and Mane, all the same age, is it chance that you do just get ahead of the rest, ahead of the curve as Liverpool often are and well, bring in one for, of those big sorry, names, don't, but... don't forget in two years, in two years, Messi, Ronaldo and Lewandowski are all finished. They yep. will not be, yeah. And then Mbappe will be getting into his prime and then there'll be other players will be coming through then. So yeah. I'm sure they've had their eyes on, on youngsters, you know, I'm not going to name any names because, let's be honest, they could just turn out to be whatever. And also, I don't know every single footballer in the entire world, weirdly enough. Doily, come on. Uh, sorry, I know it's slacking. slacking. 45 now. Tired. <laughs> Things start falling out of your brain. Log on to the uh, manager, have a look at who's got the highest potential and tell us all of them. Well, yeah, when was the last time I played that? I remember the original one. I'm never, no, the original yeah. one no, the from original like the one, 80s. Yeah. The 80s. So, yeah. 
Anyway, right. anyway, guys, that, that was a that was a long time back. Uh, last question, I just want to quickly ask you, Doily, about on transfers. Jurgen Klopp was asked again about a Genie Van Alden mm. replacement in his press conference. Very much getting bored of that question now, isn't he? I'm, I'm I am. Sure yes, you are on these podcasts <laughs> as well. But there was talk overnight that Liverpool put an inquiry in for Yves Bissouma of Brighton and mm. Hove Albion. You're going to tell me that's not happening. That is not happening, though. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's talk about football because we've we've got 27 minutes or so into this podcast and we've not spoken about what is going to be an absolutely huge game at Anfield. Doily, I can even sense you're looking forward to this one, so I know it's a big game. Come on, don't push it. (laughs) If it was a three o'clock kickoff, yeah, but half five, we're up against deadline there. I'm I'm not looking forward to the end, but, you know, maybe the game itself will be quite interesting. No, it's going to be a... First real test of Liverpool's title credentials. You know, Norwich and Burnley, they can be awkward, but let's be perfectly honest, they're not finishing outside the top 15 probably this season. So Liverpool have got a lot, a lot tougher tests to wait. And this is the first one, first real test as well of the, the of Anfield itself in terms of it'll be, you presume certainly part of it will be under floodlights. You know, it's not a night-night game as such, but it will, you know, it's an English summer in August, so it'll probably be dark about six o'clock. Um so it, it promises to be a good atmosphere. And it's also a test to see where Chelsea are because, you know, they won the Champions League. Liverpool finished above them in the league, but let's also, let's be honest, that if Chelsea hadn't got to the Champions League final, the FA Cup final, they were distracted by that. I don't think Liverpool would have been finishing third if, it, if, if Chelsea hadn't been in one of those competitions. And they ended up winning the Champions League. And as Liverpool demonstrated, but was it two years ago winning the Champions League? Suddenly you get that kind of bit between your teeth, the belief that you can actually win silverware. And as Liverpool did, they've gone on and won the Super Cup, uh, Chelsea. And they'll be going for that Club World Cup in uh, December, I think it is. And they'll fancy themselves as, as winning the title or certainly having a very good chance of winning it. They've got the squad to do it. They've got the team to do it. They've got the players. And they've got the manager as well. Although, you know, he's only been in England, what is it, seven, eight months maybe? Eight months, I think, yeah. Eight months. He's won a Champions League. You know, he's come. He's come from Germany to to take an English club to win the Champions League. I mean, who else has done that? Oh yeah, Jurgen Klopp. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he's done it. So I think there's a there's certainly respect. There's respect the 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 Yes. Well done. <laughs> right. He didn't come from Germany though, did he? Yeah, I was going to say. I'm <laughs> just talking about managers have done yeah. it. Just come in in yeah. the first season. Yeah. No. That's he's... good. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, but. What was the question? Oh, yeah, the game. The game. The game will. Yeah, I think. I think this will. We'll get onto the team selection in a bit, but I would imagine there will be a slightly different Liverpool team that starts against Chelsea to the one that has started the first couple of games. I think this is one where you need all your big hitters, where you need your best players. I think it's one where this isn't what people like to hear. It's one where you don't want to lose. I think a draw, Liverpool would accept that if they get beat. I know they got beat by Chelsea last season at home, although there was quite a few other you know, things happening around that time. It'll be a completely different, you know, completely different occasion because all the fans will be in. And, you know, there's not much love lost between um, Liverpool and Chelsea fans. I think Liverpool will see Chelsea. Liverpool fans will see Chelsea as one of their main rivals. I think that we all know the top four are going to be the four that are going for the title. It always ends up that there's two of them towards the end that are up there. Liverpool just have to make sure it's one of the one they're one of those two, and to do that they have to win these kind of games. It's the first I think I'm right in saying it's the first game between the, the top the big four because it's not big six at the moment. The big four this season. If you finish top of that mini league, then you've got a very good chance of winning the title. And I think also 
it's a good test for Van Dijk. Your first real test. I don't think I've seen him running his first two games, but I think he'll have to do that if he's up against Lukaku. Although Lukaku will probably look to go off and head towards Joel Matip uh, or whoever plays. I would presume it will be Joel Matip. So that'll be an interesting battle. A little bit, you know, the tactical battle. Chelsea will play three-five-two. Liverpool will not go like for like. So there'll be something a bit different there. You got Rhys James up against Trent Alexander-Arnold. You know, the two England right backs or not right backs, depending on who you believe. So it is. There's little battles all across the pitch, so it shall be interesting. And yeah, it will tell us a little bit more if we're looking from Liverpool's point of view, just how well suited they are for for a championship challenge this year. Yeah, definitely. Well, the man to ask is next up. Your name is Theo. Two wins from two, <laughs> Theo. Someone's always got to go. What What are you making of this one? You like, say that you really. ever again. <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty pathetic. I'll be honest. Guy. What was the question? I was distracted by that. <laughs> yeah, no, I just said, what, "What do you make of it?" I thought, I thought that was going to be uh, received a bit better, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, your um, audience. Oh yeah, <laughs> it it will come down to the mini league this year, won't it? Like we've seen already this season, Liverpool go and beat Norwich, and then was it City go and beat Norwich? You expect these top four sides to pick up as many points as possible against the rest of them. Yeah, there will be the odd slip-up, as we've seen with United drawing last week. But the title will come down to who comes top of this mini-league. And Liverpool need to send out that statement. Chelsea will be feeling confident. Obviously, they won at Anfield last year. The European champions, they've got that tag to their name now. But then Liverpool haven't really done themselves justice. Like in the Champions League the last season, the year before too, since losing the fans, this is as Doyley said, it's that first real test of Anfield. Like Liverpool can show that last 18 months, last year, have just been a blip. That what the Liverpool we saw before that is still here, it has a better side, and they are still going despite these uh, question marks over whether it's an aging squad. It is that real test, and it's one where you'll feel so much better or worse after it. It's one where if Liverpool win, you say, well, that's it, they're going to be one of the big title favourites. And it's just whether they can stay ahead of the pack because they're already ahead of City. They're already ahead of United. They win, they'll be ahead of Chelsea. It's just there, make sure you don't slip up because we've seen it the last two, three years, haven't we? When one of those teams gets ahead, you're waiting for them to drop points and it just doesn't happen. We've seen City got one beaten for half a season twice now, haven't we? We saw Liverpool do pretty much similar when they finished second a couple of years ago. You look at Chelsea, even though they won the Champions League, it wasn't a game you expect them to win. It was only because Pep Guardiola went a bit weird with his tactics and his lineup. You still expected City to win that game. So they'll have that belief and they'll have that point to prove. But then Liverpool have a point to prove themselves. And it's just, what do you have that faith in there? Even though Chelsea have got all these world-class players, I'm not sure you can say what their best eleven is. And that can be a good or a bad thing. Whereas Liverpool, I'm sure when we choose our 11s towards the end of this podcast, they're going to be pretty similar. You know what Klopp's strongest 11 for a Champions League final would be. That can work in Liverpool's favour too. So it's one where what who's going to win these individual battles and Liverpool so far this season, granted it's only two games, but the players look in form. They look hungry. They've got that point to prove. And hopefully it isn't just a case of it's a step above them now. Hopefully they can just do it against everyone and it is picking up where they left off 18 months ago. But we'll see when we come at seven o'clock, half seven on a Saturday. 
Yeah, individual battles. Got a feeling that is going to be the key theme of this one, Matt. And maybe none get bigger than Lukaku v Van Dyke, or it might be Joel Matip. And I wonder if he can keep Lukaku quiet, Joel Matip. If this is going to be the game, he finally earns the respect of the rest of the Premier League because he does such a good job alongside Virgil Van Dyke. But often, it's Van Dyke singled out for the praise. Yeah, possibly. Uh, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what Lukaku does. I'm sure. You probably won't fancy it against Van Dijk, but you know Joel Matip's been been so so good for, for Liverpool for the last couple of seasons. You probably would think that he could at least match what Lukaku can do in terms of, of his strength and, and that sort of thing. I think that the key really is is stopping the ball getting into Lukaku in the first place. If you give him the, the ball and you give him the opportunity to to get at those defenders, he'll he'll do his best to, to sort of ruffle them up and, and get Chelsea playing around. And I think that the crucial thing really is to stop. Possibly if, if Firmino plays or Jota, whoever whoever it is, as soon as Liverpool are out of possession, stopping Jorginho and Conte and Kovacic, getting the ball up the pitch and, and playing it through. So, yeah, I think there's there's a way of, of dealing with Lukaku. There's an argument to say that at his best, he is unplayable. But if you stop that supply line, stop him from, from getting the ball, I think that's possibly the most effective way of, of doing it, really. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Doily, is this going to be kind of early... You don't want to say it's kind of lose or bust. It's definitely not that situation because it's 35 games left to go after it. But as we were saying about sort of those top four battles, they are going to be the crucial element of this season. And I suppose it's that psychological marker you can lay down on a side early on because so long as Thomas Tuchel's been at Chelsea thus far, they've not really had to deal with any adversity. Yes, there have been defeats along the way, but they've not really been set back at all. Liverpool could potentially do that to them tomorrow well they did lose the FA Cup final so that yeah. was a bit of a blow for them and then ultimately straight after that no they beat Leicester didn't they they beat Leicester 2-1 yeah. didn't they in the league so I think I, I think they've shown they've got a lot of resolve there. let's face it they beat City in the Champions League final even though as as Theo said Pep went off on one didn't he he thought it's a big game I better show off this that and the other and oh look what happened once again um no, it is. It's interesting. I've only worked this. I've only spotted this one myself. Actually, obviously, it's two weeks, isn't it, after the game, because they're going international break. Yeah. And when Liverpool play City in October, that's the game before the international break as well. So they're both two big games in terms of the season itself. But also, if you think of Liverpool, the morale of Liverpool's players and the momentum, it's it's you don't want to lose these games at all, especially at home. But you doubly don't want to lose them when you're then not going to play for two weeks. So I think it is in that sense. A decent game. I also think if Liverpool win, I know we've, we've done the story, didn't we? I think last week were the BBC uh, people, or the week before, sorry. They, they did their, their predictions and what was it? No, no one said Liverpool to finish first. Hardly anyone said second. And former Everton man, Jermaine Beckford, he said they weren't even going to finish in the top four. So, you know, that, that kind of suggests that because no one's, uh, we've said this before, because no one's actually been playing actual football and they've just been battling for the transfer window shield that Liverpool have fallen behind a little bit in, term, in people's minds. But a win against Chelsea on Saturday and suddenly anybody who isn't already paying, paying attention will be reminded that this is a team that only two seasons ago nearly went the entire season unbeaten, got 99 points, and the season before got 97 points and won the Champions League. So um, and a lot of the players are still there. Yeah, Theo, a win over Chelsea, going to the, the first international break, at least three points ahead of Chelsea, Man City, and two points at least ahead of Manchester United. Doesn't sound bad, does it? Can we just end the season there? <laughs> <laughs> be happy days, isn't yeah. it? Um, they do need to make that statement, as we've been saying. And it's one where 
feel so bad on that. Like, I, I know we got rid of the August international breaks, but this one feels like it's coming around early, doesn't it? After just what three games, you want a bit more football before we're going into internationals, and it's one where I suppose it's a chance for the players as well. Like, think of um, Thiago, he's been left out of the, the Spain squad, hasn't he? So it's like, well, if he gets a start, he can show that was a mistake straight away. We know that the Brazilians and Mohamed Salah are maybe a bit miffed that they're not going to be able to go and play for their countries. But that means they're going to be well-rested as well. So they've still got that extra fight to them. And it's just, well, you need to get the points on the board. You, you would take a, a draw at this stage, this early in the season. But then it is a draw that you could be cursing come April, May. And I think, as Doyley mentioned earlier, with it feeling like the, the floodlights might be on, has a feel of a Champions League game already, doesn't it? Like a quarterfinal, a semi-final. We're not quite at the business end, but it could be that the verge is something special. It's about seeing what the real Liverpool and Chelsea are this year. It could be the sort of result that can send them on a great run. And then it's one where, depending on how many of the squad are with the Jurgen Klopp during the international break, making sure they can build momentum or picking them up again. It's going to be a miserable two weeks if you lose it, but you could be on cloud nine if you win it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's get into our team selection because that is one of the big things for us to do before we get off. And there are so many different bits to uh, talk through. I'll, I'll pick the keeper, Alison Becker. That's always a difficult one. Uh, Matt, you can uh, you can lead us on the defence. I think it's it's fairly straightforward, the defence, to be honest. I think Trent will obviously be be one of the fullbacks. I think the, the two centre-backs will stay the same. There's no need to, to change those. The, the chances for Joe Gomez and Ibrahim Akonate will come, but I don't think it's it's in this one to, to start with. Then at left-back, I think it's it's fairly straightforward as well, as well as, as Costas Simikas has done. Andy Robertson's been in training long enough now. He was on the bench last week. I think it's it's pretty obvious that, that he will start and, and come straight in because it's a huge game. It's Chelsea. It's potentially one of the, the games that could be decisive come the end of the season. And you know, as much as Simakas has, has done really well, he is the deputy. You don't throw away what Robertson has done for, for three or four seasons just for the sake of, of two or three games and a couple of friendlies. So, yeah, Andy Robertson is, is in without a doubt, I don't think. Everyone in agreement on the back four? Yeah. Okay, Theo, what about the... That didn't really team? work if, if I listened on the podcast. We <laughs> yeah, just put yeah, our thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the answer yeah. was yes, says Ian yeah. Doyle. It's yeah. like a um, police interview, isn't it? You've got to say the minute and what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, midfield, uh, I reckon we might see the, the proper midfield. Like, you know, we've always said that you've got your, your first choice front three. Well, now it's the first choice midfield as well. It's going to be Fabinho back in number six. going to be Jordan Henderson allowed to get a bit further forward. And we're going to see Thiago Alcantara start. And, oh, it's one where... It, it feels like that big sort of game where you want your big names, you want your experience and you want to see what you can do. And those are the players you have trust. Those are the ones he's going to turn to. doesn't matter how well Naby Keita started the season. He could feel a bit hard done by for not starting, but you just feel for this sort of game. You want Thiago in there. You want Henderson in there. You in agreement with that one, Doily? Is that going to be the midfield three? No, no, it's not. Theo has <laughs> got it badly, badly wrong. Oh. Well, he hasn't got it badly wrong. He's got one wrong. Uh, Henderson, Fabinho, Henderson, Fabinho, and Cater can stay in. If he doesn't play, if, you know, he needs a run of games. And if he's actually fit and he's playing all right, then why, you know, play him? You might not be able to play him for about another three months. I was going to say, can match his consecutive run exactly. for the Premier League starts, can he? Yeah, three. Matt, what do you think for the midfield? Yeah, I'd go. I'd go with Thiago personally. I think it, it just depends purely on 
on how fit he is. Is he ready? Is he is he able to play the full 90? I think if he is, you're playing. But if there's any sort of doubt over him, then it, it will be Cater. I think Harvey Elliott obviously did did really well, but it's it's not a game for, for him. I don't think it'll be one of Thiago or Cater. And I'd, I'd go for Thiago as long as, as he is 100% fit. I just think of that Chelsea midfield, and we're talking Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, if I've said that right, it's one of the names like, oh, we stumbled Kovacic, over. is it? There Kovacic? We go. Kovacic? Yeah, Kovacic, yeah. <laughs> like, we know they're going to want to get on the ball. They want to keep possession, and we know how tough they are. You need your possession players in there, and it's the sort of game where Thiago could make a big difference. It could be the making of him. He was so good when he played against Chelsea, and that was it, his Liverpool debut last season. Granted, it was against 10 men, but those are the sorts of games he was signed for, and it was just if he's at that level to go in and start. But then Naby Keita, we've seen promising signs from him so far this season. Um, maybe not as the attacking midfielder that YouTube told us he would be, but more of a genie Wijnaldum light version that we're beginning to see. Both of them could do a, a great job. And it is just whichever one of them starts, if they get on top in that midfield battle, you'd fancy Liverpool's chances. Is that not why you need maybe Cater in there for that ex- ability to get round and press the likes of Kante started on the bench actually Chelsea's last game, but certainly Kovacic, the dynamic midfield players, aren't they? So I think That's I'm with you, Doyle, actually. For. Uh, mm. yeah, what about Ox? Yeah, there could be Ox, but uh, I mean I've got no problem with Henderson. I think he's absolutely brilliant, but I don't think I don't think that's quite his game. But I think you put you put Cater in there personally. But hey, I'm I'm just a host. I don't get involved in, in this bit normally. Right. Uh, so, so, says the says the man who always picks the goalkeeper because he used to be one. <laughs> yeah. Well still one, still one, still one, sorry, still one, still one. Sorry. Right. Sorry. Right. Doily, doily forward line. Um well obviously Salah and Mane start and and Jota scored the opening goal of the last two games. He scored in his game against Athletic Bilbao, so I'm going to go with Firmino up front. I think this is the game where it's a game where Jota's best served coming off the bench and making a bit of a nuisance of himself in the last half an hour if Liverpool need him to. I think if there's one thing, if you're talking on a pure football football basis, Firmino's a, we, a well better player than, than Jota. Jota's more explosive and certainly he's a better goal scorer. But I think Firmino, with his ability to hold on to the ball and get in between those lines, you know, and cause a bit of a nuisance to the, the midfield. And because they, they'll have three centre backs, won't they, Chelsea? And you would imagine when Liverpool are attacking that are they going to bring the wing backs all the way back? Are they going to have to just stay there the entire game? They're not going to do that, are they? So Liverpool's wide players will get in behind. And that'll mean that the two of the centre-backs have to pick them up. And then if, you, if you're dragging the other centre-back into midfield, then there's space there for people to cause all sorts of chaos. So I think that's something that perhaps Liverpool will look at and, and, and look to uh, look to achieve also. I'm pretty right in saying I think Firmino's not got a bad goal-scoring record against Chelsea as well. I, I may have just made that up. But it's not great. No, he's got it last two seasons. Well, yeah, well the, the most recent seasons then. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I was going to say, including the year that he couldn't score at Anfield and then bang, he scored well, at Anfield yeah. against Chelsea. Yeah, so... Yeah, and that was the night Liverpool lifted the Premier League. So, hey, could be a good omen. Matt, do you agree with that or are you going to go with Diogo Jota? I think Jurgen Klopp will agree with it. I don't necessarily. I think Jurgen Klopp will go with Firmino, partly for that city on Jorginho that I mentioned earlier on. I think he'll trust Firmino to be able to, to do that a little bit more. But I don't know. The, the, for me, I'd go with Jota. I just think he's that little bit more clinical. He's more likely to, to take a chance. And I'm not convinced it's going to be a massive open game with loads of, of chances at both sides. I think it'll be fairly cagey, fairly tight and in that box. I think I'd rather see 
Jota get that snapshot rather than Firmino. So I'd go for Jota, but I think Klopp will probably go for Firmino. All right, Theo, you've got the casting vote. Who are you going for? Si, senor. Okay, there we go. Roberto Firmino gets the nod. Right, predictions in. Scoreline, what's it going to be, Doily? Um, it'll be an absolutely thrilling, low-scoring affair of different styles, and I'll just keep stretching this out for as long as possible before I decide that the scoreline will finish one all. Yeah, you did say low scoring, so you kind of put yourself into a position there that you had to say there'd be goals, but yeah, not many. Right, 1-1. One, one. Theo? Um, I think I said 2-1 on Poetry in Motion, so I'm going to have to stick with that in case there yeah. are some listeners who've listened to both. I can't really be going back <laughs> on what I said. I said Lukaku yeah. would score as well. So, that's Oh, that's fine. inevitable. That's inevitable, that is. Yeah. And Matt? This isn't going to be popular. I'm going to go for nil-nil. I just think if, if it's nil-nil on 60, I think it finishes nil-nil. I don't think either team will, will go for it, so... Somebody's got to be ahead at on 60, 65 if they're going to win it. But I just think it's going to be cagey. Nil-nil or 1-1. But already went 1-1, so I'll go nil-nil. So we're going to have a goal after like two minutes. <laughs> so we had, we've, had, we've had Matt saying, don't bother turning up to tune in for this game. And, and Guy saying, all oh, transfers are rubbish. Yeah, Normally it's, it's, normally it's Theo going in two-footed. Well, to be fair, Theo did absolutely destroy Real Madrid. So yeah, he did. there we go. I think we covered all the bases today. Yeah. <laughs> Tick, 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 right. That's it for us here on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Liverpool, I think, won 2-0 on Saturday. We'll have to wait and see if that is how it does play out. But join us on Monday as we look back on the action. And I'm sure ahead of transfer deadline day, we've plenty to talk about there. Yay, whippy. Hopefully you can join us then. Until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.